What's up, I'm Beyonce. Yeah, this is Big Snoop D-O-double-G. Hi, this is Kelly Clarkson. Stick around for more conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Here, brought to you by Ethel May Books. This is Conversations with Allison J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Here. Today, as always, we have another captivating and thought provoking topic and guest. Here's your host, Allison J. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Alison J, The Journey to Hear. I'm Alison J. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, like the videos and share. Today we're going to be talking about menstruation and menopause, the Shake Africa project with Ifiwumi Fagunwa. Wumi, as she likes to be called, is an award-winning medical doctor obtaining her medical degree from University College London, UCL and a neuroscience graduate from King's College London. She has a long-standing interest in women's rights and sexual and reproductive health, and is the founder of Shake Africa, a nonprofit committed to improving women's health outcomes in Africa and the diaspora. She also sits on the Young Women's Advisory Council for Forward UK, the leading African women-led organization working to end violence against women and girls. She is an academic future scholar and NDPH scholar at the University of Oxford, where she will be commencing a master's in global health science and epidemiology. As a result of her advocacy work, she has been recognized as one of the top five rising stars in healthcare in the UK. Hello, Wumi. Thank you so much for joining us here on Conversations with Alison Jay, the journey to here. I'm quite excited to be having this conversation with you today because menstruation and menopause is something that I've wanted to cover for quite a while. And it's strange how it's such almost a taboo subject, even among women. Now, I first connected with you after I saw an event advertised called martinis menstruation and menopause and i reached out to you instantly because as i mentioned some it's a subject i wanted to cover but then the more i looked into your background and what you did i found out about what you do with shake africa and the work you're doing there to help women's rights and women's health sexual health and reproductive rights and um definitely absolutely wanted to speak to you more about that now as women of menstruating age and we also know that menstruation means period there are some people that don't understand or know that the two are the same thing so for the ease of everybody listening so many of us are struggling we are for many unable to present every day show up every day and work at your full capacity while experiencing the most excruciating cramps, abdominal pains, period pains, extremely heavy flow. In some cases, as in I know with myself, the medical profession described my flow as flooding. It was that bad and not wanting anyone to know. So you're going through that and you're still trying to show up every day, not wanting anyone to know. It's nothing short of a real struggle. And although it can impact performance, 
many of us, we've actually been able to, only God knows how, but push through in such a way that no one's none the wiser. So, Wumi, as you'd like to be known, please tell us, why are you focusing on menstruation and menopause? After all, as I mentioned, it's not a topic that people comfortably speaking about, even between women. And that's exactly why I've chosen to speak about menstruation and menopause, because it's something that women don't comfortably speak about. Men don't comfortably speak about the world, just, you know, doesn't comfortably speak about it. And for me, that doesn't make sense because most people who are born female will menstruate. And so that's pretty much like 50% of the of the world's population. So why is this something we won't speak about? If this was a men's health issue, we'd be speaking about it. So why can't we speak about women's health? And one of the key issues that I have with things um, surrounding menstruation and menopause is that if people don't know about menstruation, if they don't know what it's meant to, quote unquote, what's normal, um, then how do they know when something's going wrong? How do they know when they need to seek out medical advice? How do they know when to speak to their doctors? You know, and there's this normalization of pain um, and just thinking that we just have to grin and bear it whenever we have our periods and we go through excruciating pain and people say, oh, that's part and parcel. That's just what happens when you have periods. And actually, well, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, And if we continue to do that, we continue to push women into a situation where they have to, you know, as you said, they have to go through excruciating pain and then they have to go through life just like everybody else um, and act like nothing's happening. And I just don't think that's fair. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you mentioned the fact of normalizing pain that it's the expected it almost like if for you to have period pain the more excruciating the better like it's a rite of passage and exactly and that's um and the more that you learn the more you look into it and the more that and it's quite interesting because sometimes the conversations happen not because you're just sitting around having a conversation right period but I remember many years ago I was While I was at college, I was working for a retail chain and my period came and it was so heavy that I needed to change quite frequently. But we were training and I and the trainer, she was not that um, not that soft, let's put it that way. But I really needed to 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 excuse myself and I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh I'm about to have an accident here I need to excuse myself so I whispered to her to ask if I could excuse myself and I basically explained like look it's not going to be great if I'm not allowed to excuse myself and her response to me was oh you go through that do you I was like yes doesn't everyone she's like no I didn't know my period's there until I go to the bathroom one day and oh, there it is. I wanted to snatch her face off. I'm just like, hold on, wait, what? Like, no, hold on, sorry. You actually don't go through excruciating pain. You don't actually feel like you're dying and you're, you're all, your entire life force is leaving you. She's like, no. And I just thought, so all of this pain and this heavy flow isn't normal then. So, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, to you to really delve into this because, you know, periods can vary between one woman and another, right? You've, many of us have heard of endometriosis, 
which is a condition in which the endometrial tissue, the inner lining of the uterus, grows on the outside of the uterus. And that can be extremely painful, cause heavy bleeding. And thanks to Gabrielle Union, I wish she'd spoken up 15 years ago, but we won't go into that. Um, we've also been made aware of adenomyosis, which is something I was diagnosed with, which occurs in the tissue that normally lines the uterus, the endometrial tissue. Unlike endometriosis, it doesn't grow on the outside, but it actually grows into the muscular wall of the uterus, which again can cause painful or heavy prolonged periods, clotting, abdominal and pelvic pain. Please, Wami, can you please tell us that with all of these things that are known, why is it that when we go to the doctor presenting with extremely heavy flow, excruciating pain, really severe symptoms, because all of these, they, there's, there's medical terms for these symptoms as well. But why is it like we have to call down God for them to even remotely take us seriously in this day and age? of medical advancements, technology, we still have to beg and plead as women for our concerns to be addressed. Um, so I'm really glad you asked that question because that's a question that I ask myself every day and a question that a lot of women are asking. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of it is rooted in patriarchy. Unfortunately, medicine is very patriarchal. I mean, obviously, we've sort of moved away from the way it was in the olden days, but it is still pretty patriarchal. Um, and with that in mind, um, you know, like I said earlier, women's health issues are just not seen as important. And if they're not as important, the research into them is not there. The funding for the research is not there. The knowledge about the about these conditions is not there. Um, and that becomes a real issue. If the people that are providing medical care are not well well versed on these issues, or if they carry some of the biases that we as a society carry around women's health, around women's pain, then, you know, these things just aren't taken seriously in the same way. And as we've spoken about, you know, this thing of normalizing pain in women, um, like period pain, you know, people will just be like, yeah, well, that's just what happens when you get a period. And then you're sort of expected, oh, yeah, I've got heavy bleeding. Yeah, well, you know, you bleed on periods. Like, what do you expect? Well, as you said, not everybody experiences that. Um, and it's only now that there's a shift. There's more of a shift towards people understanding that actually some of these things aren't normal. Some of these things, you know, that there are conditions that are associated with that. And even so me as an so I, I'm, I'm a doctor, but I also you know, I have had my fair share of experiences in terms of gynecological issues. And I know that even when I go to the doctor, sometimes it can be a bit like, hello, like, are you listening to me? And I have the knowledge, you know, and I can, and so in some ways I can advocate for myself a little bit better, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has that sort of um, advantage to be able to say, well, I know that this is how it presents and I know I have this. Um, and A, that's why Shake Africa is there, so that people can have that knowledge. But also, as a patient, that's not your job. It's not your job to be the medical professional. It's your job to go there and say there's a problem. And it's our job to say, yes, let's find out what's going on. Yes, let's investigate it. But until we actually think more about women's health and we value women more and value their problems more, then there's not going to be a shift. And just one more thing, sorry. 
I could go on about this forever, but there's also this issue of race as well. And being a black woman, you know, people then even more expect you to just tolerate pain, um, which I think is crazy, especially the fact that some of these conditions um, disproportionately affect us. So for example, fibroids disproportionately affect black women. Um, so, you know, if a black woman comes to you and says that they've got heavy period or heavy periods, or they are anemic, or, you know, they're having excruciating pain, then we should be looking into it. But sometimes it's like, okay, the biases are like, okay, well, we just, you know, just take a bit of paracetamol, just take a bit of ibuprofen. But for any woman that's had an excruciating period, you know, those things are not doing anything. So yes, a lot of it is patriarchy, a lot of it is bias. Um, and we definitely need to shift away from that. I'm so glad you mentioned a couple of things there, Wumi, because having experienced several of those things myself. And so when I mentioned earlier that there's even names for medical terminologies for them. So prior to being diagnosed with adenomyosis, I was um, told that I had um, dysmenorrhea, which is painful cramps. And then there was another one that I was um, pronounced with um, menorrhea as well. So those two things. And it's just like, OK, so if you're telling me there's a medical term for them, what I there's? Can you please offer me some resources? Please offer me some guidance. I was told that given these two terms and I ended up needing to actually look them up myself to even see what they even meant. So to your point of going into the doctors and basically not being heard. And I remember um, for myself, the reason that the way that I was diagnosed with adenomyosis is because after several years of my periods being so bad that I would pass out. So then people would just take me to the hospital because like, I'm talking about school from school age, pass out at school, at work. Um, and so on and being taken to the hospital and um, going to see specialists and I recall saving up to go to Harley Street and for those who don't know Harley Street is a very famous street in London where the rich and famous go to see doctors and I remember saving up to do that and they were looking for fibroids now at the time I didn't really have an understanding and I'm going to show my age here because this is in the days before Google. So I couldn't just quite look it up like that. And so um, and I and I had no understanding and I wasn't getting any help. And so when you mention about things like fibroids disproportionately affect black women, can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So with fibroids um, speci specifically, because there's that those are the ones that we've we really know affects black women disproportionately. Um, so most women actually, black, white, Puerto Rican, Asian, will develop fibroids at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. The difference with black women is we tend to, we well, more of us develop them and we develop them younger. So why we don't know, there are, you know, there've been a few studies I say a few, not enough, but there've been a few studies and there's no conclusion as to why, mm -hmm. why it happened. But I even just forget the studies, even anecdotally, based off of my friends, as I've been getting older, pretty much, honestly, most of my friends now, most of my friends that are black mm -hmm. have fibroids. 
So okay. it is something that we know commonly. And even, you know, I have fibroids. And even when I spoke to my doctor, he did explain to me, yes, like this happens amongst um, a lot of black women. And fibroids don't always have to cause problems. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people have them and they don't know. But when people do know that they have them, things need to be done because when they're more likely to be anemic, you know, more likely to at some point you know you have heavy periods have painful periods and there are solutions to that so they should be offered thank you and sorry i was remiss can you explain to us what are fibroids sure so fibroids are they're benign they're benign or non-cancerous growths non-cancerous growths um of on the uterus and they can happen in various places so they can happen sort of in the wall of the uterus they can happen on the outside they can actually happen within the cavity of the uterus um and essentially um not we don't know exactly why they grow but they do um and they generally feed off of our of our the uterine blood supply and of the and they are hormone sensitive so they respond very much to estrogen so that's why they affect a lot of women during their child childbearing or their menstruating age, menstruating age um and that's why actually a lot of women sometimes get um relief postmenopausally um and i don't know if you want me to go in sort of like any more about it so um so yeah, so then in terms of what they can cause, so people can have various symptoms. So like I said, some it doesn't not everyone feels the effects of fibroids. So some people have fibroids and they just absolutely don't know about it. And they can some people find it incidentally on an ultrasound scan or even when they're pregnant, they might just find actually, yeah, they've got a couple of fibroids sitting in there. Um and then some people, um, because the thing about fibroids is about the location, so where they're based um that can affect your symptoms so sometimes you know if they're more external sometimes people feel more of the pressure symptoms if they're larger they might feel more of the pressure symptoms and when I say pressure symptoms that could be things around pelvic pain or tummy pain um some people experience leg pain because it can push on the on some nerves back pain um it can cause abdominal bloating um and what people might notice is actually some people their first symptom might just be that they realize that their tummy is getting bigger and they're not quite sure exactly why that is. That could be fibroids as well. Um, people can have growths that make them look that they could look 24 weeks pregnant, 26 weeks pregnant, 30 weeks pregnant, or from fibroids. Um, it can cause heavy bleeding um, and painful periods. Um, and as you said, you know, the doctors said dysmenorrhea, menorrhagia, which is exactly that. So menorrhagia is the heavy bleeding, dysmenorrhea is the painful periods. Um, so it can cause both of those. Um, it can give things like flooding, as you said. So some women will find they're changing their pads literally every 30 minutes. Um, and it can go from zero to 100. So there's nothing. And all of a sudden the pad is full. Um, and that can be a classic symptom of fibroids. Um Oh gosh, the list is endless. Constipation, weeing regularly. So some people, some women find that they so constipation because it can push on the it can push on the bowels, and mm-hmm. so people can find that they're constipated. 
And then in terms of, um, then it can push on the bladder. So some women find that they need to go to the toilet more frequently. Um, and I found that, I've found that a lot of women have said that that's, it can actually, that can be a nuisance, just constantly having to go to the toilet every every 20 yeah. minutes, every 30 minutes, it can be very annoying. So yeah, there's a huge list of symptoms that are associated with fibroids. A um, long, long list. And, and there are a lot of treatments. I'm glad those, these, there's two things. I'm glad you said there's a lot of treatments because I want to, you to touch briefly on what the treatments are. But one of the things I really want you to touch on is fibroids. What sizes can they range from and to? Oh, <laughs> so I can give you all part things, but I do not know. And the reason I don't know is that they can literally be a huge spectrum. So mm -hmm. they can be as little as, you know, some people have like, one centimeter is like very very tiny um and then you have people so they they can be like six centimeters I say those kind of like middle size but we're getting a bit larger some people have 11 centimeter fibroids and I think if you just got a ruler and looked at what 11 centimeters looks like mm. you will actually be able to sort of internalize like okay that's actually pretty big to have in your abdomen like we're not huge people so if you've got like something like that sitting in your uterus that is only like that mm. and people can have multiples so people can have like an 11 centimeter and then an a eight centimeter somewhere and a six centimeter somewhere there are people that have 16 fibroids there are people that have 100 fibroids wow. you can have a lot as well so hold on one second let me get this straight because I just happen to have a ruler here at my desk. So when we say 11 centimetres, so that is this big. Let me do it this way. That is this big. So this mm -hmm. could be the size of a fibroid that somebody has. And what you're saying to me is, so a woman could have an 11 centimetre fibroid or she could have multiple of these. So, yeah, so a woman can have a, an 11 centimeter fibroid and then she could have another eight centimeter fibroid somewhere else. And then she could have another six centimeter somewhere, somewhere else and another two centimeter and another three centimeter. So you can have a lot of fibroids. You can have big fibroids, small fibroids, medium fibroids. Wow. It's not just one. Wow. And you mentioned, and the reason there's the reason that I asked you to talk about the size is because I do recall, oh gosh, probably about 15 or so years ago, a friend of mine had fibroids removed and they, sometimes I think doctors are a bit weird. So <laughs> they gave her the pictures of the fibroids. I'm just like, why would you do that? But okay. <laughs> but... And I remember looking at this, this blob, this mass. They look weird. <laughs> um, hello, hence me saying sometimes I think doctors are a bit weird because why would you give somebody that picture? It looked absolute. It reminded me, you know, if you maybe look at some of these science fiction back in the day movies where they had like the blob or something, it literally just looked like this mass this blob and it looked huge yeah 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 I couldn't actually quite believe what I was seeing and I and I was looking at her like 
sorry, where was that <laughs> kind of thing? Like, where were you holding that? And she was saying, that's why my stomach was always so big and my stomach wouldn't go down. That's why I wanted you to yeah. on the size of fibroids because of having seen that picture and was kind of very freaked out about that picture. <laughs> If, no, but honestly, if you think about the fact that some women will look genuinely pregnant, mm. you will look at them and think that they are in their third trimester of pregnancy wow. because of fibroids. They can be really big. They can be really big. Wow. And that's and imagine how uncomfortable that must be. Mm, yeah, because obviously, like you said, if it's pressing on your your bladder or yeah. your nerves or your bowel, then of course that must be. Oh my gosh, that's that's just listening to that. And you said, and there are treatments. Please, yes. What are some of these treatments? So treatments will vary according to each individual and each patient. And I really believe in patient-centered medicine, just as like an aside. So I think that treatment should be uh, tailored to the individual and what they want and what their needs are. So for example, if the main issue actually is heavy periods and pain, um, heavy periods and pain, what people can actually have is they can actually just have a form of contraception so usually what they actually like to prescribe is the Mirena coil mm -hmm. and the reason they prescribe the Mirena coil is because it can secrete a low dose of progesterone and um it can therefore reduce the the sort of how heavy the bleeding is um, and that has actually been shown to be quite effective for a lot of women not even just with fibroids but for a lot of women with heavy bleeding and heavy periods so, and actually one of the things that um, I've, I was told sort of in med school is how it revolutionized um, uh, women's health and medicine in terms of like reducing the number of women that have had hysterectomies because they've been able to control their bleeding. So that's number, that's number one with the Mirena coil. Number two, you can, you also have other treatments with things like surgical treatments. So you can have what we call myomectomies, which is just remove, so you can remove the fibroids themselves. That can be done open or it can, so that they actually do like a massive incision or it can be done laparoscopically. So with smaller incisions and that depends on the size and that should help um, remove the, remove the fibroids. Um, and that can often be an option for women who are wanting to complete their family and they haven't yet. Um, and the reason um, that people might do this is because fibroids, when they're really big, they can distort the shape of the uterus and that can make getting pregnant more difficult. So removal of that can help to try and restore the cavity, the shape of the cavity. And sometimes if they have a, um, a fibroid inside the cavity as well, it affects implantation. So myomectomies can be used to remove that. Um, and they can also help with some of the other symptoms, sort of the pressure symptoms and things like that, because obviously you've removed the mass that's causing it. Um, so that's quite good for women who haven't completed their family and would like to. Um, and I do know a few women that have actually had that in order to complete their families, and it's been pretty successful. Um, and then there are other things like uterine artery embolization. So um, that's basically cutting off the blood supply to that, to that fibroid. Mm -hmm. They tend not to use that for women unless they've completed their family because it can affect fertility and things like that. Obviously, there are also hysterectomies and some people might might opt for a hysterectomy as well. Um, 
if they've completed their family, if they if they're sure that they don't want to um, have any children, then that then hysterectomy is a good option as well. And sometimes, you know, if in women who are nearing menopause as well, um, they might opt for a hysterectomy. And and um, uh, so yeah, there are a lot of options. There are. Um, so yeah. Oh, thank you for that. And a quick question for you. So once you've gone through um, one of these treatments, depending on, as you've mentioned, what's best for you, can fibroids grow back? So this is the wonderful and annoying thing about fibroids is they can grow back. Um, and so that's why, with especially with the myomectomy, sometimes they can be a bit um they can sometimes put it off a little bit um and they will say to you like oh it can grow back it, it's very much um an individual basis so um for a lot of women they do grow back um but it's difficult to predict who it's going to happen right. you know to and, and with um and so yeah that's just an unfortunate thing that they do they do grow back especially you know if you're in if you're a woman and who's menstruating those hormones are a fibroids feast Oh, I like how you put that. Those hormones are a five-week feast. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Wumi. There's so much to learn and to discover. And it's um, it's just a shame that we have to go to these lengths to actually even begin to learn. Because as I mentioned to you, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned the, I'm sorry, and you helped me with the pronunciation, the dysmenorrhea. And yes. the, well, sorry, what was the other one? The menorrhea? Menorrhagia. Menorrhagia, right. So I was um, diagnosed with both of those, um, two different things in that, because you can have one without the other, right? You can have the heavy bleeding and you or and or you can have the pelvic, the really excruciating pain, because I had both. Because I remember my doctor saying to me, it's like the pain is so severe, I'm in labour every month. Thanks. And... And it's like, okay, this is great. So what are you going to do? And they never actually prescribed any, they didn't even prescribe any pain meds for me. Yeah. But they told me that this, really? like, you, yeah, you have this not on your way kind of thing. And it was, um, I had to then ask for things. And because as you mentioned, over the counter, pain meds did not touch it at all. And so it was um, having to ask for things. And when I was diagnosed with adenomyosis, now, as I mentioned, it was, I had gone through all of my teens into early 20s, constantly anemic. I was like every six months, I was going to have blood tests. And then they would say, oh, you're anemic. I'm like, surprise, surprise, you're anemic. Here's a month's supply of iron tablets. And it was just this cycle for years from my early teens, just this cycle for years and years and years. And um, eventually going through life, and it was a girlfriend of mine. She used to live in Birmingham, England. She now lives in Texas in America. And she says, demand a laparoscopy. So I'm, so I'm like, what's one of them? So she explained it to me. And I says, okay. And so after the final time of being at work, passing out, constantly being sick, and it was my manager that took me, actually took me to the hospital. So I went to my, my gynecologist and I asked for a laparoscopy. 
And he says, well, why do you want one of those? Just for fun. <laughs> and I remember my response to him was because I'm tired of this thing putting me in the hospital. He's like, oh, mm. okay. So he performed laparoscopy and he's like, afterwards getting like the results, he says, oh, you have what's known as adenomyosis. Mm. I'm like, what's that? And he didn't answer me. But then he just went on to say, oh, you've got two options. And I'm like, oh, okay, options. This is great. Option, options is good, right? You can. These are the options. You ready? Hmm. You can either learn to live with it or have a hysterectomy. Hmm. Those were my options. Those were my options. So I said, um, thank you. And I left. <laughs> Needless to say, I never went back and saw that doctor. Because it was I'm like, not surprised. Because <laughs> it was like, hold on a second. You still haven't answered me as to what it is, but yet you're telling me my only two options are I can either learn to live with it or have a hysterectomy. Okay, thank you very much for that. Because that was, of course, clearly not very helpful. <laughs> So, yeah, so, so that is why, knowing that you're a doctor, and when we had spoken, you had shared with me that you're also a doctor and a patient with regards to um, how the, the challenges you face with your own peers. That's why I wanted to share this with you, to let you know that, hold on a second, if me, who is not um, in the medical profession, I'm experiencing that, and you, who are in the medical profession, experiencing that. Well, me, what can we do? <laughs> <sighs> what can we do? You know what? Honestly, I think it's a shame that the onus is even on us to do mm. anything about it. I think that that's honestly that's sad. But I think we need to just keep having these conversations. We really need to keep having these conversations and just empower as many of us as we possibly can to advocate for ourselves like we can't just take no for an answer I mean like times are changing medicine is changing and we shouldn't be left behind so our health is important you know how we feel is important and the thing is it's not it's not just a physical thing and this is the what I think people don't understand you know a painful period even if there's no call even if we can't find a cause okay that can really affect someone's mental health why should anyone have to suffer in this pain? Like, it doesn't make sense, especially when there are options. And so we really need to come together and to really fight and advocate for women's health. And there needs to be better education for healthcare professionals as well around these issues. They need to know more. It can't just be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is what happens. Because that's that's not our, our job isn't just to be like, okay, yeah, well, okay, that's what happens and send you on your way. Our, our, our job is to actually investigate mm -hmm. try and find as many treatments i'm not saying there's always a treatment and mm -hmm. i'm not saying that there's always a diagnosis what i'm saying is it's our job to at least try yeah and if we don't find anything okay and then we can think about more holistic care what are the things we can do to take care of you in your entirety how can we look after your mental health how can we try and find things that will actually make it a little bit easier for you what are the support groups there are support groups 
Mm-hmm. So what are the support groups that we can we can direct you towards? You know, it's more than just saying, oh, sorry, you've got a period and just live with it. It's more than that. And we need to be, there needs to be better education and there needs to be funding into research, into women's health, into black women's health. Sorry, you said there's support groups. Why am I only just hearing this? Like, what? There's, there's, do you know what? Yes. And the thing is, obviously, we are lucky now we have the benefit of like Google. I'm not even going to pretend that I know the answer to everything, but the point is like, we can actually, it's so easy to type in. And there are endometriosis support groups. There are adenomyosis support groups. There are fibroid support groups. They are there. Wow. That's good to know. A bit too late for myself, but it's, it's good to know because um, to, like you were saying, and I'm glad that you said that the onus isn't on us as the patient to be able to do our uh, to do our own research and figure it out. Because um, as I said, honestly, when I asked them what adenomyosis was, there was no response from him. I did my own homework, my own research. And it's um, considering that, okay, when you go to either your primary care doctor, your GP, I can I can imagine, okay, okay, they're just a general practitioner, so they're not the specialist in any one thing. But the doctor that told me this is a specialist. He's a gynecologist. And I know I'm saying it like yeah. that. He was my gynecologist. So therefore, that is actually his area of expertise, is it not? So he really should have been better and more well-versed in what I could, A, being able to at least tell me what it is, um, B, offer me some resources other than the two options of learn to, I mean, learn to live with it was the first thing he said to me. You will either have to learn to live with it or have a hysterectomy. And he is a specialist in that. So it's it's one of those things. Where, so why aren't even those who are specializing in gynecological care not caring more and doing more to help? You know, when you say, when someone's lost for words, I'm not lost for words. I am lost for words. Honestly, you know, the thing is, and just one thing is that, even your GP mm-hmm. should know. Uh-huh. There are things that, because GPs are generalists, but they are trained in understanding a lot of things. They might not know, they, they won't be a gynecologist and that's fine, but they will be able to give you, they should be able to give you some sort of overview on what that condition is. Mm-hmm. And because if you bear in mind, you're not only solely going to be looked after by your gynecologist. You're, you're, you know, a lot of, the, especially in the UK, a lot of it is primary care led. And so the person that's going to be looking after you, that's going to be seeing you regularly, you're more likely to be able to see your GP than you are your gynecologist. That is true. They, they should know about it. But now I've said that bit. The gynecologist, it is on them as well. Mm. It is on them as well to give you all the resources. They're the specialists. Who's going to know better than a gynecologist? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? what the treatment options are how to take care of it what's out there it's on them and it really there needs to be a shift in mindset there needs to be a shift in you know just caring Mm -hmm. about women caring about women's health caring about about black women as well there needs to be that shift Mm. that is so true thank you thank you so much for us going into and I know 
um, again, as I said at the top of this conversation, talking about periods, it's quite a taboo subject. Why? I'm not quite sure. Um, and again, but people are very uncomfortable talking about it. But I want to shift slightly because um, the other part of your event was menopause. Mm. And I was looking into it, and this is quite interesting. Research shows failing to accommodate menopause costs an unbelievable £10 billion pounds the UK's economy and more than $26 billion a year to the US economy. And women between the ages of 45 and 54 make up 20% of the female workforce here in the US. And that is as of April, of the end of April, 2023. And it's interesting that we're looking at this and we're talking about this because I know I'm thinking, as far as many people are concerned, right? You met all menopause is you no longer have a period and you can't have children. That's it. Full stop, end of, right? But mm. and or some people have a little bit more knowledge in that they know that, oh, so you get hot flashes and you get the night sweats and it yeah. might drop your sleep a little bit. And to be honest, like, you know, so that's it. What's the big deal? What what? So what? The worst part of it is over, you don't have the periods anymore and you can't get pregnant. So, and then, you know, the, the thought is, so you should be happy, right? You're going through menopause. But if we look at the impact on the economy, both in the UK and here in the US, it's staggering that a, we're looking at a combined, what, 26, more than $26 billion, 10 billion pounds. But yet we're still having these conversations and women are still not being accommodated in in the workplace. There's no accommodations being made to help support. Now, I'm going to throw a really big question at you. Right? Okay. So firstly, no, let me take a step back before I throw that question at you. Let me, let me, let me prepare you. Okay. So... Firstly, when we, if you tell us, yes, menopause is when your periods stop, but what else comes with menopause? So, yep, menopause is when your periods stop, but it's actually when your periods have stopped for 12 months. So if you've had 12 months of no period, then you're in the menopause. Before that, it's perimenopause. Um, and with menopause comes a whole honestly a whole host of symptoms like you you say like you name it probably it can be a symptom of menopause people come in with changes to their bowel habits brain fog um insomnia a lot of difficulty sleeping changes to their mood don't forget this is a hormonal shift so mood changes low mood changes to appetite weight changes so many different things headaches you name it, menopause can be associated with it. Um, we've obviously, we've said about the night sweats and the hot flashes. Those are the ones that people most commonly know as well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot. Literally, every, you name it, can happen in menopause. Wow. And it's, it's quite interesting because, again, it's something that has been happening forever, but so little is known about it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? Why? <laughs> you know, so I've actually, I've, I've really tried to think about why do I think nobody really knows about menopause? And I know I feel like I'm saying this word a lot, but I do think it's a patriarchal thing as well. I think one of my theories anyway, is that for a long time, our role, our roles as women, cook, uh, you know, procreate, and then raise the kids, right? So why does anyone care when <laughs> you're not doing that anymore? That's genuinely part of what I think the problem is. Like, everyone's like, okay, well, that's it, you're done. Which, A, is wild because that's not the value in any woman. In fact, that is not that is not our value. Yes, mm. it's a fantastic thing, but that's not our value. Yeah. So I think that that is one of the reasons why it's not spoken about. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's I don't think there's been enough, there's been enough research into it. Um, I think that even for healthcare professionals, you know, we don't all really know. Like I, I won't say that, you know, I think obviously we know what it is. We know there are some options, you know, like hormone replacement therapy and things. Um, but in terms of like in-depth insight, I have to say that the Martinez menstruation and menopause event, I was learning things on the spot about menopause. I was like, wow, hmm, interesting, interesting. Um, so yeah, I think, those are my, re like, I think those are the key things around why people don't know about it, honestly. I don't think people care. And, and that's actually quite sad to, again, referencing that you are actually in the medical profession. You are a doctor mm -hmm. and not just a doctor because you've got a PhD and we call people the PhD doctor. You are actually a medical doctor. And these are the struggles and the challenges that you even face. You obtained your medical degree from University College London and a neuroscience graduate from King's College London. So, again, I say that to say, not because I'm throwing your credentials out there, but you are actually a medical doctor. And these are the things that you discover. This is what you feel like. So. What can us, like the regular everyday woman, what can we even do about it then? So I think it, you know, again, I do think it does, you know, it does boil down to, unfortunately, the owner shouldn't be on us, but I think it, you know, we do have to advocate for ourselves until, you know, there's a complete shift. And, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom because I do think that at least the doctors I've, I've experienced and that I know and that I work with, we have a vested interest in patients and their lives. But that's why people, hopefully, that's why you do medicine, right? Because you want to make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we just, as a world and as a society, haven't really got to a place where we've prioritised this group of people's health. We haven't prioritised the health of people that menstruate. Um, and so until that happens, it we have to just push we have to advocate we have to fight we have to just you know if you think that this is what you're experiencing something as a result um of your periods or menopause you think you might be going through menopause you know one of the some of the things that you can do um and this was something that um I think one of my friends mentioned recently speaking about just periods in general and where there's a problem was um diaries keeping a diary 
of your symptoms like this is what I'm feeling so on Monday I felt this and I felt that and even if you can't kind of find trends or you know just keep having a log of this is what's been happening to me and taking that to your doctor and saying like look this is these are the things that have happened I've had this constellation of symptoms and that way you can actually see trends over time but you can also it's sometimes it's hard to remember like I can't remember what I felt last Wednesday so some so noting it down that actually last Wednesday I had a bit of this and a bit of that might be something you can take to your doctor and also it means that they can tailor their management according to what you're coming with so if it's like I've come in with you know vaginal dryness um you can go to your doctor and be like I've had a vaginal dryness and they can say okay here's here's a, here's a cream here's a topical estrogen that's going to make that better for you you know so there are you know little things that you can try and do to present to the doctors um, that might help guide them in the right direction about what to do for you. That's good. I like that, keeping um, the journal in it and keeping a diary of what's happening. Because it's so true, because sometimes by the time you're able to make the appointment and get to the doctor, you've forgotten some of the things and the doctor can only really treat what you told them about anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, especially some, because, you know, GP appointments in the UK, is, they're 10 minutes. So you, you're under pressure to make sure that you've got that, you've got the main point. And I know, you know, I'll get off the phone, I'll be like, oh, God. And there was, and there was one pain I had. So, you know, <laughs> and the doctor can't know. So, yeah, it's good to just have, like, you know, written down exactly what you want to discuss and what the problems are. Um, just jog your memory a bit. Oh, that's good. And I know it might be, seem like, like, oh, gosh, why do I have to do this? But honestly, for your own sake, for, and not just for your own physical health, like you mentioned earlier, for your own mental health as well, because it, this can be, sometimes I think as well, and I, not that I want to speak for other people, but watch me do it. Um, it's one of those things where you, you sometimes you feel like, am I, Am I am I going a bit crazy here? Am I imagining this? Is this really this bad? Am I am I making a big deal about stuff? And you start to question yourself and you start to question your own sanity. Um, and I don't know again if it's just me, but there were times I'm just like, is this right? Is this and and then he, and then I again as black people, there's many times you look at it, it's like, oh, but you don't want to keep going to the doctor because you don't want to bother the doctor. And and I don't even know why we got that, where we get that from, because it's the doctor's job for us to bother them, to go to them with stuff, right? But yet we don't want to bother them, which, okay, I'm still trying to figure that one out. But um, it's keeping that journal so that it's one of those things where, like you said, you can say, look, this month I went through this. The month before I went through this and this and this. So like you said, you can see what the what the patterns are. And if there's a common thread in it, yeah. again, there could be things that we're going through that actually are quite serious, but we keep forgetting to mention the doctor. Like when you said, after you finish, you're just like, oh, I, and I'm sure we've all done it. We've left the doctors and we we still in the building when we remembered something else. <laughs> I was just like, oh, damn. Gosh, I should have said that. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, my mum's going to watch this and like, oh, Lord, help me. Because my mum's always telling me to write it down. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. Your mum's right. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of don't. <laughs> okay. Insight. We're sorry, Mum. She's going to write it down from now on. I know, right? Hang on, hang no, seriously, my mom's always back then. My mom worked in the medical profession for 25 years. So, and but interestingly enough, she worked in the um, OBGYN, obstetrician, gynecology, and obstetrician. So, that's so she kind of, now that I think about it, she probably knew what she was talking about. You know, mm, I think so. <laughs> So, um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, back on to serious subjects. So with that and with regards to menopause, so thank you for that, because um, I know that, to be honest, I was quite ignorant about menopause. And I remember I had this manager, she was going through menopause and she would have these hot flashes and she would be like, oh, my gosh. And then I'd look at her and she goes, don't laugh at me. Don't laugh. You're, this is going to happen to you one day. Don't laugh at me. And I was like, what? 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 And then I started to do my own research and I thought, oh, oh, okay. And um, okay, she's clearly going through something. And let me just try and be as sympathetic and helpful as possible because clearly this is something that and she's and and she was in senior leadership as well, having to deal with this and in a lot of meetings. And fortunately for her, I'm gonna say, this was pre pandemic so we didn't have video calls and so on the way that we do now so she was at least able to hide behind her phone when she was on calls with some of the other senior executives having a hot yeah. flash and fanning and all the rest of it but um there is a lot to learn and there's a lot to unpack and and I would really encourage us as women and not just us as women but really us as women because we're the ones that go through it and in order to help our doctors help us we need to at least have an understanding of, of what's going on so I would encourage us to do our research to look into if your period is if you think it's too heavy because to your point because believe me I know what it's like to it's like you're sitting down and you don't want to stand up for love nor money just like can I just wheel myself around in this chair forever or or you um, using sanitary products and using the maternity ones and having to change every 30 minutes. Been there, done that. So, and if you're in excruciating pain and the over-the-counter medications are not helping, just pay attention to these things and don't just pass it off as it's some kind of, I am woman, hear me raw kind of thing because it's our right of passage because we're supposed to know as you said, yeah. Wumi, we are that's actually could be signs that something is wrong. So we need to look into this and also women pay attention to your iron levels as well, because yeah. you can be iron deficient and not anemic. Who knew? I found that out when I was going through it that I was iron deficient and not anemic, which was like, oh, but then I also had many years of being anemic to the point of like two blood transfusions. It was that bad. So we need to pay attention. My final note on that really is we just, as women, we need to pay attention to the symptoms, what we're experiencing. Don't be afraid to speak up to your doctor and don't be afraid to advocate for yourself either. That's very, very important. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I agree. And I just want to add, be kind to yourself. Like women, just in general, in life, we all need to be kind to ourselves. But women, we need to be kind to ourselves and take care of ourselves. Like your health matters, you matter, your life matters, your mental health matters. And so prioritize that. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not important because it is. And if you're worried, see your doctor. The best thing is to see your doctor and find out that there was nothing but it's worse to see your doctor to mm-hmm. not see your doctor and then find out that it is something. Mm. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. Thank you so much for me. Thank you. And now I'd like to speak about Shake Africa. Now, there's so many areas that Shake Africa cover, such as health awareness, sexual and gender-based violence, cervical cancer screening gender-based violence, breast ironing and breast flattening, something I'd never heard of until I was researching about you and looking at your website, and female genital mutilation, also known as FGM. Now, first of all, Wumi, why Shake Africa and why did you form Shake Africa? Um, so Shake Africa actually came about when I was in medical school um, and I was volunteering for an organization called Sexpression um, and it was all about improving sexual and reproductive um, education in the UK and I was like hmm, you know I'm from Nigeria and this would be fantastic in Nigeria so it initially started off as just trying to raise awareness about sexual and reproductive health within Nigeria. You know, that's also a taboo. Anything around that is a taboo. So I thought, let's get conversations started. Because like I said before, if people don't know, then people don't know when there's a problem. People don't know what to look out for. And people don't know how to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. So it started off like that. And over the years, it's sort of um, expanded and it's evolved to really think about women's health in its entirety. And it's all about just trying to make sure that we are taken care of, that our health is prioritised, um, that people know what to look for, people know when there's an issue, and people feel like they can speak up about what's going on with them, that they feel like they can look after themselves because that's what's going to transform health outcomes. That's what's going to mean that people are living longer, but not just living longer, but they're living longer, healthier lives. You know, it's one thing to live a long life. It's another thing to live that life and enjoy it and enjoy it to its fullest. And Shake Africa wants to ensure that women can do that. Mm, lovely. Thank you so much. And um, it's wonderful to see a young lady such as yourself taking the knowledge that you're learning here back to a country that your parents and grandparents are from and bringing education and raising awareness there. Now, now we know, unfortunately, that some of these countries, as you mentioned, the um, like some of these African countries, Caribbean islands, and, so, you know, that could also be some, not only those, but also some Asian countries as well. The subject of women's sexual health and reproductive health is extremely taboo. If we thought speaking about periods was taboo here, it's even more so in these nations. So have you faced any obstacles and challenges in trying to take this type of education to Nigeria? Yeah, so it's definitely... So I'm going to say I've been 
yes and then I've also been pleasantly surprised so I think um it's always difficult even here it's always difficult um I feel like even some of a lot of some of the conversations that I've had where people are a bit like <gasps> has been in the UK where people are a bit like oh I don't really mm, I don't know is this something we really need to talk about you know um so I think actually as a world we're not necessarily all very ready to speak about um sexual reproductive health um and within you know I think there's something about respecting the cultural context that you're in as well um and you know you don't have to rush things sometimes you ease people into things and so even like in Nigeria where I've um shake Africa we've held some like period parties the way that we shape things and frame things it doesn't mean we shy away from the truth but sometimes we do it in something in a way that we think is more culturally you know sensitive or we we you know we try and involve the culture more and think well how do they like us to teach right it's not me coming here and coming going there and saying this is how you have to learn but this is how do you want us to teach you and we teach you in a way that respects your culture but still gives you the facts and I think that's really important um so yeah there have been difficulties but then also like I said, I've been pleasantly surprised where I think that people are ready to hear about it. People are ready to learn. And both women and men have actually been very sort of open and accepting and curious. Honestly, there's a lot of curiosity and people do actually want to hear about these things. So, yeah, I think I'm say a bit of both. That's excellent. And, and I like how you do that. You teach in a way that's respectful of the culture. You don't just go in there all guns blazing, like, no, you must do it this way. So I I appreciate that. And I'm sure they do, too. And I just really wanted to touch on a couple of things that I saw on your website that was just like, wow. So one of the areas that you cover is gender-based violence. And looking at your website, it says, globally, it is estimated that one in three women experience either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual violence in their lifetime what is it that you do in bringing awareness to a subject such as this in Africa so we're so each year with so one of the things that we do actually and this is our main thing so um there's a 16 days of um 16 days of activism campaign that happens every year that's run by the united nations um and they basically 16 days of activism against gender-based violence and so each year we will do work around that um and it normally run, it runs in november between november and december um and so what we do a lot of our work is actually about um just mostly awareness raising so getting the conversation started getting the conversations going and showing people what gender-based violence might look like so we have one idea a lot of people kind of believe that gender-based violence is very much just um this man and a woman in a house and the man beats the woman okay and that is violence right that is violence a man is assaulting a woman that is violence but there are other things there's coercion there's um you know there's financial um there's financial abuse there's psychological and emotional abuse and so what we try and do is shed light on what it can look like mm-hmm. and signpost people to um organizations in 
in their country that they can approach should they be in these situations mm -hmm. um and then with 16 days of activism we do an event so like last year we had an event in december where we spoke about gender-based violence um and yeah these are the things that we have to do around it oh, thank you and looking at your website and some of the work that you do with shake africa now i've heard of fgm or female genital mutilation before but I never heard of breast ironing or breast flattening. And before I even go any further, there's something I read on your website that I absolutely love. So before I even we go, before we even go into um, female genital mutilation and breast ironing, I must preface that I love how you put it. And you said, and I'm going to read this from your website. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, in communities where these things are practiced. It is often done with the mistaken best protective intentions, clouded and justified by culture, custom and religion. It must be said that no religion prescribes this practice nor promotes it. It is simply a ritual of girl-child abuse and violence against her body, a form of women perpetrated violence and mutilation on girls. Women, I absolutely love that because so many people believe that they're doing things in the name of religion, right? And like, quote, unquote, on religion. So many people are mistaken and misguided into why they are doing and continuing with these absolutely horrific practices. And a lot of it really, as you said, it's ignorance and it really is abuse and it's violence on women and young and young girls at that, because to have, um, again, looking at um, doing some research around it's young girls, it's girls that are prepubescent where these things are being done to them. And something that was staggering to me is that, yes, we look at some of these things and we think, oh, it's only done in these countries like these African nations or these Asian countries or these um, West Indian countries but around a thousand nine to fifteen year old girls in the UK are currently thought to be at risk of breast ironing we, we haven't even touched on the FGM because we know that happens as well and this is actually quite staggering and alarming that these things are happening in countries like the UK and the US. What is Shake Africa? First of all, please tell me, tell us what breast ironing and breast flattening is. Okay, so breast ironing and breast flattening is honestly, it's really what what it says. It's basically trying to use methods to prevent breast growth um, and it's generally rooted in this idea that we're not trying that you don't want a woman to be or a child to be viewed sexually or to be you know to to grow these organs that are natural but to grow them um so that they're not seen as promiscuous or they're not very sexual they're not opening they you know they're not seen by men's eyes so it's using different methods maybe like using stones or like binders to flatten breasts so that essentially they don't grow wow and you said so it's to stop um young girls growing into womanhood or the physical i should say the physical appearance of womanhood 
Yeah, pretty much. It's basically just to like, yeah, to stop that physical appearance of womanhood, to stop the breast growth so that they're not seen sexually. Wow. And looking again into the research of this, it says breast ironing affects 3.8 million women around the world and has been identified as one of the five underreported crimes relating to gender-based violence like so it's up there in like the top five of underreported crimes this this is how this I was uh, when I read that I really really was at a loss for words and I think one of the saddest parts about breast ironing and also um female genital mutilation is that the as Again, and you mentioned this on your website. And there was, I mentioned to you about a book I read where a woman in Sudan went through this because the practice is commonly performed by family members 58% of the time by the mother. Like, Wumi, how do we stop this? Like, how do we stamp it out? Honestly, it really, I think a lot of it boils down to education and reaching communities. You know, you said it, a lot of people, you know, I don't want to just, I want to steer away from villainizing because I think that it's a terrible practice, but a lot of people really think that this is part of their religion, their culture, this is the right thing to do. Um, and they don't understand the implications of what they're doing. They don't understand psychologically what it does, physically what it does. And so it is about educating people to understand that, hey, this is not this is not from your religion. And a lot of people are shocked. They'll be like, oh, I thought that this was meant to happen. I thought that I had to, I had to happen. And you need to bear in mind that often it is the people that these things have been done to as well. So they do think it's part of the rite of passage. They do think that this is what's meant to happen. And so it is trying to make sure that we are accessing communities, that we are speaking to people, that we are getting the word out there. Like you said, you hadn't heard of breast ironing. I hadn't heard of breast ironing. It was somebody, it was one of our volunteers that even brought it to my attention, one of my volunteers that works in Nigeria. So it's not something that everybody knows about. Um, and it is shocking. So the more we get people speaking about it, the more we get um sort of the ideas out there and the more that we try and galvanize support and get support from governments you know from policymakers, from people even at the you know people at the grassroots levels then the more we're going to be able to access people and ensure that these things become a thing of the past 100 percent. thank you for that and um yeah and to your point we don't want to villainize anyone because again it really is not anything that I believe they're doing from for malicious purposes, but it's because they believe in their culture or some religious yeah. practice that's being done. So the more we educate people, the more these barbaric, for want of a better word, practices get stamped out. And just want to touch on also female genital mutilation, because that's something that shake Africa brings awareness and education around. So again, statistically speaking, 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone FGM. Yeah. So, and it says at 
current rate additional estimates of 68 million girls face being face going through FGM by 2030. So 200 million girls. And we're not talking about 200 million girls and women in the past. We're talking about a life today, 2023, have gone through this. And let me please tell us, what is female genital mutilation or FGM? So FGM um, is, we'll say cutting of um, the female genital, and the key thing is that it's it brings no sort of um, medical, there's no medical reasoning for it or no medical benefit for it. And there are different types of FGM, so there's four types, um, and it can range from um, sort of, clitoridectomy sort of like removal of the clitoris to complete removal of the of the of the female genitalia genitalia so um the clitoris the clitoral hood the labia menorah majora so basically the, the the sort of the lips of the, the um of the vulva and then um infibulation where they then sew it up as well um and they just leave a small hole for um uh for for menstruation and for the period to pass um and there are various types so some people call it female circumcision um generally i don't like to use that term because i think people then try and say it's the same as male circumcision and things but you know, um, it can also be cutting. There are things like, you know, labia pulling. And there's very, there's different types um, of female genitalation, um, genital mutilation. Um, but yes, that, that's the, basically what it, what it, what it involves. Thank you. And I actually was going to say to you about female circumcision, because prior to hearing um, it termed as female genital mutilation, I had for many years heard about female circumcision. And obviously you hear it like that. And to your point, you think it's like male circumcision, right? So you just think, ah, oh, it's nothing really. And some people like, for example, male circumcision think, oh, well, it's more hygienic anyway, right? So because it has that word circumcision attached to it, you don't actually think it's as severe and as damaging as, and as harmful as it is, right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes people don't recognize how just how damaging female genital mutilation can be. And honestly, it can be damaging. Some of the things I've heard and the stories I've seen have been terrible. Honestly, it has a lot of um, medical, it's associated with a lot of medical complications um, from chronic to um fertility issues so it can be it can be really bad mm. and the worst outcome it can also lead to death right yeah it can lead to death it can lead to death that's my gosh that's um we need to do all we can to stamp out these practices because again to your point it's nothing short of violence against women and girls under age yeah. at that, because I can't imagine at the age of nine going through the breast flattening or the female genital mutilation or just any of these practices. I just can't mm -hmm. begin to imagine. And we've got some of our 
girls and women around the world going through this. So, Mommy, what can we do to help support education of women around the world? What can we do to support Shake Africa in bringing education and awareness to people around the world to stop and stamp out these practices? So one, my favorite thing is conversation. I really do think conversation is, it can transform a lot of things. Once we start talking about it, we get more comfortable speaking about these things. And don't get me wrong, this is a difficult issue to discuss, but actually speaking about it and, you know, having conversations like you and I are having now, like the work that you're doing, your podcast, like you're reaching people and you don't know who you're going to reach with this that's the thing you can reach somebody somewhere across the world who will hear this and they will be like wow or they will be like "Mm, this has been done to me so some people think that that also some people don't really know that it's happened to them sometimes it's happened so young other times they think that this is just normal so actually having these conversations and reaching people um, and then you know speaking to your policymakers, speaking to your MPs, speaking to them about what they can do, what kind of policies that they can have, what structures that they can have, what infrastructure that they can have that would best support um, uh, you know, women and girls. And I do think it's about galvanizing men's support as well. So in a lot of these um, societies or communities where, where um, FGM is, 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 is taking place, um you know a lot of them will look at elders in the community or they'll look at men in the community who dictate a lot of you know the the way that the communities run and sometimes it's about educating them and getting them to be able to speak to the men in their communities and to speak to the women in their communities and just get that conversation going within them and I think it is um you know we've spoken about villainizing people it's I think it's about not necessarily not villainizing we're not saying support it i'm not saying say this is right absolutely not but actually speaking on a level which is like i'm not here to say you're wrong and you no i'm here to explain to you why actually a lot of people don't know that this could happen people don't know people a lot of parents love their children for example they're not trying to kill them so Mm -hmm. actually do they do they know do they understand the health implications do they know what what could happen and making sure that they're aware of these things opening their eyes to the fact that this isn't a religious practice or it's not it's not it's not required by religion um and then also just having events as well you know come to a shake africa event support a shake africa event support your podcast things like that just get ourselves going and moving and talking about it i think we can actually make a huge difference thank you thank you so much and i'm glad you mentioned also men getting involved because that's something that when we were talking about menstruation and menopause, something that I was remiss in mentioning, yes, we're talking about women, the attention to what's happening to your body, women journal what's happening, women advocate for yourself when you go to your doctors. But one of the things also is the men in our lives, if they're thinking, well, is this right? Especially if they've grown up with sisters and so on. Like, well, my sister did go through that so is that normal is that right so we should also be able to have these conversations with the men in our lives as well right have and I'm not saying that we need to go always go into graphic detail but even if women touch on some of these conversations with their sons so when their sons are in relationships with women they will be able to help or not only that 
when their son, if and when their son have daughters, they will be able to say, okay, my daughter is struggling. This isn't right. And it shouldn't just be seen as the quote unquote women's problem. It's women's yeah. it's women's issues. Because the reality is it's not just women's issue, is it? It's all of our issues. Because exactly. if we're not functioning, many times the household's not functioning either, really, is it? <laughs> Exactly. I think that that's really important, honestly. And every man that has come into this earth, you know, we're all coming through vessels. And what are they? People that menstruate, right? In order for us to be on this earth, somebody menstruated, right? So with that in mind, it is all of our, it's all of our concerns, all of our issues. You said it, you know, if you give birth to, if you or you father a child who has a period being making them comfortable to discuss it with you you know I think sometimes you know we have to shy around the house you know you don't want don't don't let your dad know you're in your period don't let your brothers know you're in period you know don't be in too much pain around them be in your if you're in pain be able to vocalize that and creating a you know a household where people feel comfortable but your child your daughter feels comfortable to speak to you about it and to say this is what I'm experiencing you know, go to that doctor's appointment with them. If, if that's what they want, go with them and talk to the doctor with them as well. You know, my child is going through this. This is what they're experiencing. What can I learn? What can I do? Read about it. Read up on these issues. That is so true. Because I remember I dated this guy and it was really short-lived because it was always a case of, oh, it's that time. And you've got your horns and your horns come out. And I thought, you know something? If your mother had had a decent conversation with you, you wouldn't actually be referring to me during this time when I was really struggling. Like like you, like you mentioned, it's not just the physical toll that it has on your body. It's the mental toll. It's the emotional toll. It's the physical toll that, you know, the psychology of it and what it's doing to you at that time. And then to have a partner that is that insensitive to what you're going through, that all they can do is refer to it as, the, oh, it's your horns that come out and you were like this and you were like that. And it's just like, okay, this is interesting. And bearing in mind that this man has a daughter and it's a case of, okay, how do you speak to your daughter? Should she be having an issue, having a problem? So again, to your point, normalizing these conversations so that yeah. you can have them with your wives and your daughters and your sisters, your mothers and so on, so that you can actually get that support. And one thing is if we can stop using PMS as the butt of jokes, right? Yes. You know how people love a good PMS joke? Oh, you're PMSing. Oh, it's your period. Oh, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I know I've done it, especially, but to the most, I must admit, I haven't done it to a woman. I have actually used a PMS joke on a man when he was behaving a certain way. And I would say to him, would you like some evening primrose oil? I think you're going to need it because I think it's going to help with your PMS symptoms. So I've actually never used it as a joke on women, but I actually always found it very entertaining to tell a man that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Seriously, but we we really do need to stop using PMS as the butt of jokes because it's not helpful. And I think that's 
as a result of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like that's actually pushed women, it pushes women back in not wanting to say anything because they're just going to be dismissed as, oh, it's just PMS, right? A lot of things are put down to our hormones and I don't want to negate the role that our hormones play in a lot of how women feel. Um, but, you know, if I don't like what you're doing, I don't like the way you've spoken to me or I don't like the way you've behaved towards me, it doesn't, it's not, it's not my hormones. I just don't like the fact that you've behaved badly or you've been insensitive or you've been rude. Mm. And we can't always explain away um, our feelings on based on hormones because I think it does you know people can use it as an excuse to get away with bad behavior like oh well she's just yeah she's just hormonal she's just crazy well actually no you just did a bad thing um Mm. so I think that's really I think that's really important um but also you know because the hormones can have such a grave and and such a strong effect on women um especially women who suffer from like um, or experience PMDD. So they've got premenstrual dysphoria disorder where they, you know, for like a good two weeks out of a month, they will feel completely out of sorts. Some women can experience psychosis as a result of the hormonal changes that are associated with periods. People can feel depressed. People can feel suicidal. And I think that that's not something we should joke about. Um, And I think that if people almost always dismiss everything as hormones like it's not that serious and they don't take it seriously when women are experiencing these things as a result of their hormones as well um so I just think that you know we need to be more as a society just more sensitive around that topic yes thank you and I like how you put that as well and you using don't blame me having PMS as a reason you to behave badly and for you to just basically just be rude and disrespectful and it's thank you for that and so what's next for you Wumi and what's next for Shake Africa so next I'll start with Shake Africa um so Shake Africa we're just going to keep going keep having these conversations um watch out for 16 days of activism um we will be running our campaign again in um, November and December. We have some really exciting events um, planned. um, And I will say, just keep an eye on the Instagram and the um, website. I won't give away too much, at ShakeAfrica or www.shakeafrica.org. But we have some really, really exciting events. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly so excited and um, but yeah we'll continue speaking about these things we're not going to stop we're going to keep pushing for women and advocating for women everywhere and yeah and then me I'm just going to continue on in medicine and trying to practice what I preach so making sure that I'm listening to the women that come to me making sure that I learn more um about these issues as well and just trying to stay on top of it and then I will be pursuing a master's in October on global health science and epidemiology and my key thing is trying to understand a bit more about the determinants of women's health um, and trying to explore more around black women's health and maternal mortality. Thank you so much for mentioning that because black maternal mortality is a subject that I've really been wanting to cover as well so um, watch this space because I will be inviting you back for us to discuss that because I think that is a topic that really needs to have the lid blown off it completely. So 
thank you for letting us know that's what you're doing, Wumi. And so where can people find you? I know that you mentioned the Shake Africa website and what are your social media handles? I will also include them in the description of this video as well, but tell them, tell the listeners where they can find you. So you can find us um, at our website, www.shakeafrica.org. And that's kind of like our information hub. We have our blog posts and some information you can find out find there. You can also reach out to us on there as well if you have any uh, anything you'd like to discuss, any questions, etc. Um, and then in terms of social media, all of our social media is at Shake Africa. And you can find us on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and also on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, and Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> okay, Facebook. So it's Shake Africa on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes. And your website is www.shakeafrica.org. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Thank you. Wumi, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here conversations with Alison Jane. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Alison. It's been fantastic. And keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is amazing. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time with us. We're already looking forward to the next episode of This is Conversations with Allison J. The journey to here. Until next time, honor, respect, and blessings to you all. If you want to connect, visit allisonj.net. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-J-A-Y-E.net. Allison with one L, as she is the one and only.